Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew 5, I'm going to read uh, the first 12 verses, and our focus is going to be verses 10 through 12, but I think it just, it's fitting that we get a flavor of what Jesus is trying to say to us. When we're done, if you have a question about what is said this morning, um, I'd be happy to try to answer that question. If you're new and we haven't met, I'd be thrilled to meet you. So just keep that in mind as the morning progresses. So we're going to read the, those 12 verses and then we're going to pray and ask God for his help. <clears throat> now, when he saw the crowds, it's Jesus, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Father, let not the wise men boast of his wisdom, nor the strong man boast of their strength, nor the rich man boast of their wealth, but let they that boast, boast in the Lord. Make God this book live in us this morning. Show us ourselves and show us our Savior and make this book live in us and may we do to others as we would have them do to us. For Jesus' sake, we ask these things. Amen. Well, as you know, we've been working through 1 Corinthians, and this morning we're turning our attention purposely to the subject of Christian persecution. This will not be an exhaustive term. We won't consider all the distinctions of persecution. Nonetheless, today is a day designated for the Christian church to consider and pray and to be reminded to pray as a habit for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted around the world simply because they follow by lip and by life our Lord Jesus Christ. Because they believe that Christ, through his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later, some 2,000 years ago now, is the only way that one can relate to God correctly be called God's child, know yourself at peace with God, no matter uh, the trend of circumstances, good or bad, have our sins forgiven and headed safely to God's heaven. And oftentimes when Christian people of tender conscience in America stop and take a moment to think about the persecution of their brothers and sisters in the world God has made, they may reason that somehow those persecuted have it far worse than we do here at home. And while that might be true physically, I would argue, and Jesus said it pretty plainly, didn't he, in the text that we read? That is not the case for the persecuted spiritually and not practically. 
In other words, in the things that matter most, the persecuted Christian is in a blessed state, according to Jesus. Now, at a glance, this might seem like Christian masochism. Uh, You're blessed when you're persecuted, verse 10. Please give me a difficult time, verse 11. I love it when you insult me, when you say all kinds of evil against me. You know, give me more, give me more, verse 11b. But surely we know that Jesus is not saying anything like this. However, whatever the words of Jesus actually mean, and hopefully we'll discover what they mean this morning, it is so unlike the way the world thinks. It's so unlike the way the world lives or even desires to live. All of these beatitudes turn the values of this world completely upside down. And when the genuine Christian thinks of any realistic progress that is made in their life, it is unquestionably linked not with their successes and not with their good times, but with their failures and their disappointments, and as in the case of the text, with their persecutions. Nevertheless, the beatitude in our society is probably, blessed are you when you're popular and everyone loves you. Blessed are you when everything is going, what's the word that we like to use? Ah, yes, smoothly. Blessed are those whose lives are easy, well-managed, and hassle-free. Now, if you're going to be honest, by and large, that's how we tend to think. Yes, there are troublemakers who seem to be well-gifted and take pleasure in stirring up trouble wherever they go, but the rest of us, most of us, would do just about anything for a quiet life, for, if you would, a smooth life, and because of this, we certainly don't go looking for persecution. On the contrary, most of us actually go out of our way to avoid persecution, We want to be, well, liked by as many people as possible, or sometimes we have a thirst for applause, and so we would do just about anything to get people to like us. Or we just don't honestly want to be hassled, so some of us avoid people, we avoid controversial remarks about Christ, thereby laying uh, to rest our cowardliness in, in the cloak of invisibility, just so we won't be hassled, just so we won't be insulted. I wonder if we did a word graph, and a word graph is, is, uh, is what you see online, the box, and it has some small words and has some big words, and the bigger the words, the more that word is being used in that context. So I wonder if we did a word box for the Christian prayer list these days, at least on this side of the, of the pond, I wonder if the word smooth or smoothly would be larger than the words Christ or endurance or mercy. Because most of us would admit that we want to be loved and affirmed and we do not want to be insulted. And we do not want to be persecuted. And that is what makes Jesus' words here so striking and so difficult to endure and perhaps for some of us, difficult to believe. Blessed, that's the word Jesus used. It means happy. Blessed, meaning in a desirable and fortunate and privileged and enviable state, Are you, when people persecute you and insult you and speak sinfully against you? I mean, you you want to say, Jesus, you know that's not real happiness. I understand you have to say these things from time to time to keep people in line. I understand that. But just between you and me, Jesus, we know that's not real happiness. Jesus, real happiness is sticking my feet in the sand somewhere on a sunny beach in my bathing suit with my favorite book. Jesus, real happiness is, and you know this, is in a deer stand waiting to fire away, hit my target, drag the beast back to the house. Jesus' real happiness is when everything is pretty much going the way I want. I'm calling my own shots, spreading my wings, watching the game. I'm well stocked. And Jesus, I'm posting some pretty terrific stuff on the World Wide Web to the whole wide world about my life. 
That's happiness, Jesus. Don't, don't be difficult, Jesus. Don't be difficult. A couple of years ago, my family and I went to see the musical Oklahoma. Great, great show. And so there's a couple of fun songs in it. One of the songs was, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning. Just sing it in your mind. This is the, the chorus. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. Right? Hashtag blessed. You see, Jesus, that's real happiness. And by the way, would you give me some of that? You know, I do not want to be hammered, Jesus, because I'm attempting to advance the gospel. I do not want to be hammered, Jesus, because I'm holding to God's standard, refuse to compromise with God's truth as it is in Jesus. I do not like it, Jesus, when people insult me and when they tell me that the way to real life is somewhere other than Christ. Don't like it when I'm insulted, Jesus, when I tell them that the way to real life is only through Jesus. Jesus, all the things that you say here, that doesn't feel like a blessed state. A blessed state, Jesus, is when things are smooth, when they are easy, and when they are unnervy. So, when we consider these words, we better not leave out the last three words of Jesus' phrase in verse 10a. Do you see it there? If your Bible's open, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And we better not leave out the last three words of verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. Last three words, because of me. Because the blessing comes only when we're following the Lord Jesus Christ as he's presented to us in the New Testament. Because that's the only Lord Jesus Christ there is. So this is not an encouragement for a person to be a difficult person to be disagreeable, obnoxious, or offensive. This is not an encouragement to lead with all your personal convictions, speak your mind to the world, and let them know how it really should be. Because anyone can be persecuted if they want to. However, this persecution is bred out of a rich, deep, unfettered obedience to the words of Christ and to the person of Christ and his call to follow him. This isn't pretend world, right? This kind of persecution received is the common lot for those who persevere in the faith. For those who cannot stand it when Jesus Christ is not glorified. This persecution is for those who must take the gospel and must advance the gospel, must hold the gospel line in the public square no matter the fallout. This state of blessedness, then, is for the Christian. Let me read some verses to you. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his followers, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, that's got to mean something. Mark 8, 34, 37, he says the same thing. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then Jesus goes on, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will, will save it. And then Jesus makes this a necessity and not an option as he continues on. For what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In other words, this is the implication of the work of grace in God's child who follows Jesus. John 12, 23 to 25. Truly, truly, if you have a King James, verily, verily, sometimes I miss those words, verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay, Jesus, how do we die? Jesus says, he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. One more passage, Luke 6, 
57, as they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another, Jesus said, follow me. But the man said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you. He reminds me of that song. I will follow you, right? I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of heaven. It's not fit for heaven. Well, what's this all about? Because it sounds kind of rude and it sounds kind of hard and it doesn't sound like that Jesus uh, is a very safe person. It doesn't sound like he's a very safe person if we're going to follow him and it just does not like, sound like the Jesus I keep on my shelf, you know, and I bat my eyes, the Jesus that's always there for me. Loved ones, in these verses, Jesus was teaching and he was testing. He was teaching that the Calvary road through Jerusalem will be a very hard road and will require sacrifice at home and family and comfort. And he was testing to see if he himself was the greatest treasure of their lives. They said, I will follow you. And Jesus said, really? You love me? You treasure me that much? Here's what it will cost you. Everything. Everything. So he's testing how much they treasure the you and I will follow you by telling them what the follow will cost. Loved ones, authentic biblical Christianity, okay? Authentic biblical Christianity, not popular Christianity, not cultural Christianity, not even regional Christianity, okay? The real thing is not, oh, you want a better life? Well, come on over to our team. We can fix you up, finance you up, help you drop a few pounds. You can be the best you ever. People will take notice of you finally, and you'll be something finally. And if you hang on long enough... Your kids will be the kind of kids that people will go, wow, look at them. It's not authentic biblical Christianity. Authentic biblical Christianity is not a social club. We get together with our friends, sing a few songs, have a few talks, do some good deeds, and see you next week. That's about it. They do that at the Y, YMCA. Authentic biblical Christianity is so simple a child can understand it. But it is so complicated that piles of books and sermons and lectures have to be given to explain it. Authentic biblical Christianity is so hard to do that it will feel like death. But it is so wonderful to do that it will make you know finally, finally, real life. Listen to the words of a follower of Christ, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 6. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in endurance and troubles and hardships and distresses and beatings, and imprisonments, and riots, and hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, and impurity, and understanding, patience, and kindness, and the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, and truthful speech, and in the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report, good report, genuine, yet regarded as imposters, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. So you'd want to ask Paul, Paul, why are you going through all this? Why are you going through what so many Christians would do everything to avoid? Listen to Timothy Keller. He's a pastor. He wrote a book on preaching. I'm 
almost through reading the book, this is what he said. Whatever we most value and cherish in our hearts, subtly but inevitably controls the whole person's direction and values. Whatever captures the heart's, heart's trust and love also controls the feeling and behavior. What the heart most wants, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find valuable, and the will finds doable. What do you think Paul's heart is? Where do you think his life is? And the eternal plan of God for all his true children locks us into this Christ. And that may sound hard to some of us, but listen carefully because, again, this is basic Christian doctrine. Acts chapter 14, 22, the Christians in Antioch were taught that you must go through many philipsis, persecutions. You must go through many hardships to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not hardships because we're difficult. Hardships because we are Christian. Now, the word persecuted that Jesus uses three times in verses 10, 11, and 12 of Matthew 5, it's actually the Greek word dioko. And the meaning behind the word has the idea of a person being hunted down by their enemy. So, hunted down so that the hunted is always dodging movies, always on the run, so that the hunter will not capture them and hurt them and in some cases murder them. Now, that's a terrible way to live, isn't it? Being persecuted like that, being hounded by a person day in and day out, that's a terrible way to live. A life lived where someone who wants to harm you because you stand for Christ, you advance his cause, and you tow his line. However, Jesus is prepared to say that this is not a terrible way to live. This is a desirable, this is a enviable, this is a wonderful, this is a blessed way to live. And when you read your Bible you'll find that many of God's chosen men and women spent a significant amount of time being hunted down by people, being persecuted by people, by being slandered by people because of that, God's people's devotion to righteousness, their devotion to God and His Son, uh, their devotion to the implications of what it means that God will come in judgment to so get the word out so that those who are actually persecuting you may be saved. David on the run for years, for years from Saul, Daniel in the administration of King Darius. 122 of the 123 viceroys wanted Daniel dead. The only one of the 123 viceroys who did not want Daniel dead was Daniel because he was one of the viceroys. Esther was a woman who stood between Haman and his evil plan to slaughter the whole Jewish race in that context. Moses, the apostle Paul, Peter, John, and of course Jesus. This is the norm. For the healthy Christian, uh, on the run, enduring persecution, being hunted down, slandered. And the martyrs, those who throughout history who took their stand, uh, not as the moral majority, but as followers of Christ who came to people and said, I'm a sinner too, but I'm a sinner saved by Jesus. He's the only way. And by the way, time is running out. Thomas Watson was a Puritan. He said to his generation, the way to heaven is the way of thorns and blood. Set it down as a maxim. If you would follow Christ, you will see swords and you will see spears. So come on and be a Christian. Jesus is saying, 
that there is a blessing that comes to those who suffer solely because they uphold God's standard, they promote God's son, and they refuse to compromise. One of the things that we are unable to go to in America from coast to coast is that we can't go to any monuments of martyrs, as best I know. So you can't go to the city of Philadelphia, for example, see a monument of someone who died on these fair shores because of their commitment to Jesus, their commitment to the Bible, and who were burned at the stake or something like that for their commitment, the way you could go to, say, Oxford in England and see the monument of Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley who were tied to the stake and burned because they wouldn't recant of their convictions concerning Christ and the gospel and the Holy Scriptures. So you couldn't find that in America. You couldn't find uh, the monument to the two Margarets, Margaret Wilson and Margaret McLaughlin, who, who were tied to the stakes in Solway Firth, uh, the coastal waters in Scotland. And their persecutors wanted these two Margarets to recant their conviction concerning Christ and the scriptures and the gospel. They gave them time to recant because the tide was down. But as the tide began to rise, uh, getting to the lady's feet first and then their waist, they would call out to the Margarets, you don't have to do this. You can get out of this. Later on, as the water grew higher, they tried to turn them against each other. She's crazy. You're not. Save yourself. Save yourself. Think about your kids. And eventually the water rose past their head and then the waters took them into eternity. And today in mainland China, there are people being persecuted and imprisoned for their faith. In Egypt, imprisoned and persecuted for their faith. Nepal, Iran, Syria, North Korea. There are over 40, some say 50 countries where people are experiencing religious persecution. Some say over 100 million, as we saw in the video there, 100 million Christians every day are experiencing religious persecutions. And to these people, the the words of Jesus Christ in that beatitude in a particular and a profound way comes to them surely with great conviction. They don't just breeze through these words and through their tears and through their fears and through their losses and their crosses. They are trying to hold on tightly and believe what Jesus is saying and believe that there is actually happiness that is attached to these persecutions and insults, and evil words, because, because they are gospel people. And you know what? I put my life on it that they're finding Jesus truthful, and they're finding Jesus faithful, blessed, happy, or you, because of him when persecution comes. I thought about Romans 5 this week. I reminded myself of the fact that if we try and question whether God loves us by looking at our circumstances, we will always get it wrong. We will always get it wrong. So it's sunny and we're fine and we're going to go on vacation. God must really love me. It's miserable. It's raining. I'm not fine. I don't have enough money for my gas, for gas in my tank there. Therefore, God must really not love me. I have a lot. I'm good with God. I don't have a lot. Maybe God is mad. And if we use that as our baseline for God's love for us, we will always get it wrong. We'll always get it wrong. And the way in which Paul writes in Romans 5 is he tells them, rejoice in the hope of glory. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that in this suffering, God is producing a character. Uh, what kind? Is he producing a character like a funny man? No. This produces a gospel man. Finally! and a gospel woman. That's the bent of the passage. 
It was the Pharisees of Jesus' day who considered wealth and the liberties which came with it the evidence of God's blessing. And Jesus startled them with a parable of the rich man and the poor beggar Lazarus. And the poor man was on the winning side. Just to remind us that God did not give us money to make us feel safe. Money can't do that. Or at least it shouldn't. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet many in America thirst for their own version of wealth. Woe to the rich. Jesus. Luke 6, 24. But what a blessed state. What an enviable state. Uh, What a happy state when persecution, physical or verbal, comes your way because of Christ. You see, a blessed person, a happy person, is the one who knows what it is to endure hardship who knows what it is to be slandered and persecuted only because of righteousness, only because they take their stand with Jesus and advance his cause. And this blessed person, from the perspective of the average person, or perhaps maybe even the average Christian in the West, is thought to be pitied, is thought to be felt sorry for. But not so says Jesus. Actually, this person is blessed. This person is happy. This person is in an enviable, desirable place. This person is identifying with Jesus Christ in a remarkable way. Don't you wish you were in their shoes? So you see how we can get this all turned around a bit if we're not thinking with our Bibles wide open. That's the the difficulty of images. Images are good, but they can be bad if you don't think things through. We should sympathize with the persecuted. They are our family. We should do everything we can to help them, which is why we're having a prayer service, so that we can come together as a body in a meaningful way and pray, pray, pray tonight for them. But we dare not feel totally sorry for them, not in any kind of sentimental way, so that we feel good, that we feel bad for them. Don't do that. Don't do that. And do you see how we can get the gospel upside down? Because over here, you know, we've got a message for winners. We got a message for quarterbacks. We got a message for the wise ones, the smart ones, uh, those who aren't stupid enough to lay it all on the line for Jesus. We have a message for champions. But Jesus had a message for the poor, the brokenhearted, the blind, the, the limpers, and the last and the left out, who may very well remain that way for the totality of their lives on this little planet for the short amount of time that we are here. But it doesn't matter to them because they're connecting with Jesus in a way that is just beautiful, a blessed state. It doesn't matter to them because Jesus has saved them. And loved ones, Jesus' whole ministry was to those who, irrespective of what they did or how great they were, they had to be brought to the place of realizing that the gateway into the kingdom of God was to come in a place of poverty of spirit. And then continuing in that bent, in their journey, thereby finally cultivating the spirit of Jesus Christ in their life, who carried his cross and died on that cross for somebody else's sin. That's Christianity. That's the blessed state. Would you look at your Bibles for a minute? You see all those Beatitudes? If you and I made a list of the eight things that our heart was set on as being vital to our character, eight things we want to see developed in our life, would it, would it compare favorably to what Jesus said here? Would that list include a poverty of spirit, purity of heart, peacemaking spirit, a willingness to be persecuted for the sake of the gospel and its advancement? 
Or do we think that a real blessing is to be found someone else, somewhere else? Our Lord Jesus Christ said that all those other blessings, supposed blessings, they're mirages in the desert. They're clouds without rains. They're well with no water. They promise much, but they deliver nothing but disappointment. Because the only life God blesses are the lives that are marked by these beatitude values. These are the hallmarks of those who belong to the kingdom of God. This is their bent. Because God is always working in his people to these ends. So when we think and when we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, if we do not pray with a sense of admiration and esteem, with a kind of God, if it pleases you, would you do this work in me, this persecuted work in me, as I advance your cause? Then we would probably need to reconsider the words of Jesus and start again. Why do I say that? Well, look at your Bibles, verse 12. Verse 12 tells us to rejoice when you're taking hits for Jesus and be glad. Literally, it could read like this. I did the the Greek on this. Have yourself be filled with joy. No empty spaces in you which is not filled with exceeding joy. Why, Jesus? Because massive, pulus is the Greek word, great. Massive is your reward in heaven. You get that? Massive. No empty space in you that is not filled with joy because massive is your reward in heaven. It makes you understand why there's so many unhappy people in our world with plenty to do and have and see. Massive is your reward when you lay it on the line for Jesus and you're living with the fallout of that. And what does that last verse say? Because that's been true for all God's true people, right? All those prophets since when? Pretty much since the beginning. Paul Reese, pastor to pastors during the heyday of the Billy Graham Crusades, he said this, to be where God is quietly talked about seems a lovely thing, but to be where God really grips us is a risky matter. As long as a living God is about and given any chance at all, it will be found dangerous to be in his presence. Dangerous, that is, to everything that is more to our liking than it is to his. The early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today, the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. One last thing. I was listening to iTunes, a podcast, Church History, This is the first line that I heard when I turned on Lesson 7, I think it was. Christianity is the only religion to have as its central event the humiliation of its God. As the teacher, Jesus, so the student. All of us who name the name of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, we graciously and generously know that you fill our lives with many wonderful things. You bless us with friends and family and wealth that most people in the world can't even imagine. And we confess today that we're prone to love the good gifts more than we love you. We covet and long for things that you haven't given us or we are filled with anxiety if we think that we might lose those things that we've come to love so much. Thank you, Father, for your deep and endless mercy to rebels like us 
We trampled on the blood of your precious and only son time and time again. We know that we deserve your wrath and yet when we approach you, we find grace and mercy instead. Father, we cannot fathom the cost to your heart of pouring out so much anger on your perfect son. But Father, we are so grateful that you are willing to suffer so much for us. And Jesus, thank you that you have disarmed the wrath of God toward us. You never bowed to an idol and you, know, you never loved anything or anyone more than your father. Oh God, make that so in us. For Jesus' sake, amen.